this section of Luke is full of instruction and discourse to his disciples, and it's also full of parables. Wonderful parables. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, you got into the parable of the prodigal son, which is probably one of the best known parables of Scripture. Just before that is the lost coin and the lost sheep and all various uh, parables that we find Jesus teaching. And today we're going to look into one of those parables, but I want to really put it more into the context of what Luke is trying to teach. And so I want to kind of dig a little bit into the earlier part of Luke as we prepare ourselves to consider a parable this morning. But first, let's hear the word of God read. And I know it's your custom to stand as the word of God is read. So let's rise. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son, or an ox for that matter, that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath, they will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who had been invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. 
The master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever had a big dinner and had a meltdown? You know what I'm talking about. Relatives, uh, what is it, Thanksgiving or, or some big banquet, maybe it's a special occasion like a graduation or a wedding or something, but, but you got people that just don't get along with each other. In fact, um, it happens often, probably often, too often. And we tend to try and, let me get my notes turned here. We tend to... Um, think that um, we're unique, you know, this just happens to us, but I suspect probably it happens to most of us in more than one occasion um, for various reasons. Um, perhaps it's the fact that these relatives just never agree on anything. Um, arguments get started. Uh, there's hidden agendas. There's sibling rivalries. There's hashing over past grievances. Um, politics, religion, or the current rage of culture wars and issues like that. You know, with kids, it's even worse because, you know, little children, you know, don't really understand all the rules of what you do at a fancy dinner. It's one thing to have paper plates. It's another thing when you're sitting down to China and a beautiful meal that's been, the table's been carefully decorated and it's, it's a very special thing. And they come up and they start playing with things and, and they, they, you know, they got to pour the drink and start drinking right away and the food hasn't even been served and they're ready to start eating. Or half the things are on the table and they're helping themselves. Already. You know what I'm talking about, right? None of you have ever had this happen? <laughs> okay, well, just suppose it could have happened. Okay. Emily Post wrote a book of etiquette in order to give us basic rules by which we follow. And we know don't lean on the table with your elbows, how to use your forks, um, ask, say please when you're asking someone to pass the potatoes and ask to be excused, just don't get up and walk off. I mean, there are all sorts of basic graces that she set forth back in the 50s. I think probably a lot of people forgot a, a lot of them now. But I'm sure you get several generations together and the older generation is kind of raising their eyebrows at some of the things the younger generation does at the table. And today we even have worse problems. Emily Post didn't have to deal with cell phones. And you know, you're sitting there at the table and somebody's poking away. Or maybe everybody at the table is poking away. You know, there, there's a TV show called, um, what is it, What About Todd? And they're talking over each other and they're arguing all the time and stuff. You know, that kind of picture of a meal is what I'm talking about. Jesus, every time he gets together with the Pharisees, has a meltdown. Think about it. 
As you read through the scriptures, every time he goes to dinner with the Pharisees, there is a meltdown, and it's usually about practices and customs. In chapter 5, Levi, who's a tax collector, has a big banquet to celebrate the fact he's met the Lord, and, he's, and it becomes Matthew, you know, um, that he's become one of Jesus' disciples. And the tax collectors are coming to dinner. It's a great party. But the Pharisees, he's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, you know, and, and, and why isn't he fasting like John's disciples do and like the Pharisees do? I mean, he's having a big feast instead of a fast. John chapter 7, Jesus gets together with a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon is... Um, they're reclining at a table, so obviously he's a wealthy man, and, and there are people that are kind of gathered around. A lot of times at these big banquets, the, the, you know, the people just get around and watch. And this known prostitute comes up behind Jesus and pours perfume on his feet, and she's weeping and wiping his feet, and Jesus just seems to ignore it. A sinful woman touching him? Jesus looks at Simon and tells him a parable. Probably you remember that story, but the point of fact is, when Jesus arrived at that dinner, he didn't get, nobody washed his feet. Nobody offered a blessing to him or anointed him with oil, but here this sinful woman's doing it. Well, let's consider another time when Jesus got together with the Pharisees in chapter 11 of Luke. Uh, beginning about um, verse 36. This is quite a meltdown. 37. As Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined the table. This was probably in the morning or brunch. It wasn't a big dinner, but anyway, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now this isn't you know, just washing his hands, you know. This is a ceremonial ritual that the Pharisees kind of engaged in where they would bring a bowl around and you'd dip your fingers in it and so on. It was, you know, and there were several bowls to be circulated during the meal and stuff, and Jesus just ignored it. And this guy is shocked. And then Jesus proceeds then to point out to them that, that they might, they're not concerned about the inside. It's all externals. Jesus has definitely refused to go along with Emily Post in this case. She's not making, he's not making these Pharisees happy at all. In fact, he goes on to pronounce a series of woes on the Pharisees because their externals are not dealing with the fact that in their hearts they have no concern for justice. They have no concern for the love of God. In fact, all these practices they have are keeping people away from the truth that's in the law of God. And this gets even, even worse as the lawyers get in. The lawyers are the scribes, the people that really know the, the law of God and, and all the, the other rules that have been added to the law of God. Because, you know, the Pharisees believed in the law of God and the tradition. The tradition. The tradition 
was a series of things that the rabbis had worked out and finally codified, written out, 2020 BC approximately, called the Mishnah. And this, you know, explained, well, how do you go about observing the Sabbath properly? How do you um, deal with ritual cleansing when you come into a house or meal and so on? They had a whole bunch of rules. If you kept all these rules, you would be clean and pure and you would have kept the law. But it was all external. And Jesus says, their hearts are just bad. And this lawyer says, you're insulting us with these woes you're pronouncing. And Jesus goes on to give him three more. <laughs> well, you get the feeling here that Luke is kind of building on a theme. And by the way, this passage ends by telling us that when he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard, to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. Jesus had a meltdown every time he got together with the Pharisees. And it was usually because he did not go along with the etiquette. Which brings us now to our text. And actually there's a little bit of background to the text because just a couple of Sabbaths before, I don't know how many it was, but it was probably fairly recent, Jesus had been in the synagogue. And as a visiting rabbi, he was teaching and while he was there, this is in chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, this woman who's all bent and twisted comes into the back of the room and she's just kind of staying back there where she always would do during worship because she loved God, but you know, she was a twisted old woman. Women had no place in the middle of the sanctuary. That was for elders, the men. Jesus calls her up into the middle of the sanctuary of that synagogue and straightens her out, heals her on a Sabbath nonetheless. And she's rejoicing in God and the people are rejoicing in God and the ruler of the synagogue is just totally upset. People, you got six days of the week you can go to the doctor. You don't need to heal people on the Sabbath. You know, this isn't the first time Jesus has dealt with his healing on the Sabbath thing. This is probably six or seven times into the book that Jesus has had the Pharisees trying to confront him about whether it's proper to heal somebody, to show the grace and mercy of God for someone in need on a Sabbath day. And so we come to chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler, of the Pharisees. This guy is like the top dog, you know, the bishop, so to speak. They were watching him carefully. The, the word that's used there indicates they were looking at him with kind of narrowed eyes, just waiting for a chance to catch him in doing something wrong. And behold, what do we got here? A man with dropsy. Everybody know what dropsy is? Another description is edema. It's basically a swelling of the body as your tissues in your body are just holding too many fluids. So your arms and your legs are swollen. You look awful. You look grotesque. 
and there's a man there. What was he doing there? Jesus recognized very quickly, this is a trap. This is a trick. They have him purposely there to see what Jesus is going to do. And so he looks around, he says, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? They don't say a thing. And Jesus proceeds then to heal him, and the man's body is restored right before their eyes, and Jesus sends him away because Jesus knows he really wasn't expected to be at that dinner anyway. He was a, they had put him there to catch Jesus. And again he looks at him, do you have anything to say? You know, if your son or your ox fell in the well, you'd pull him out on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you? They were silent. Well, this dinner didn't get any better. In fact, the meltdown is just beginning. Jesus notices as they're gathering around the table that they're kind of shoving and trying to get the places of honor. You know, uh, basically it's a low table with couches around it and you lean on the couch and whoever was closest to the host, you know, was you know, in the, high in the pecking order. And they're kind of jostling over who's going to be closest to the host. And it's going on, and Jesus then tells them, this isn't the way you do things. I mean, just suppose, you know, that you're at a wedding and, and you sit in the wrong seat. Anybody had any weddings lately? You know about place cards? You put place cards, you... They spend a lot of time figuring out who you want at which table so they won't get into those arguments and meltdowns I talked about earlier. Okay, so, so they're switching the place cards. I want to be on that table. <laughs> and, and they're switching around. It's all this going, Jesus recognizing here that their hearts are revealing the fact that they are self-centered, grasping, seeking personal gain, seeking personal position, that they're basically showing forth the very hardness of their hearts. And so Jesus says to them, you know, you might get booted down. Maybe it would be better if you would take the lowest seat. The humble will be exalted. It doesn't tell us where Jesus sat at that Pharisee's dinner, but I suspect it wasn't at the head. And I'm not really sure that the Ruler of the Pharisees who had this banquet moved him up either. And then he, Jesus speaks to the host. He says, you know, look at this impressive crowd of people you've invited. I'm not impressed. <laughs> Criticizing the host for who he invited to the party? Yeah, look at it. They're all, they're all people just like you. Uh, that was the way the Pharisees were, you know. The Pharisees considered themselves to be set apart. In fact, the word Pharisee means separated ones. They were the ones that separated themselves from the outcasts, the, the, the low people, the crippled people, the, the people you wouldn't want. They wanted to have people with wealth and power associated with them and and Jesus says here look at you you invite your relatives your brothers your your friends the rich neighbors <laughs> and why because you know that 
a little bit time later, they're going to have to invite you to a party, you know, to balance things up, because that was the way it was in those days. The etiquette would be that if you gave a banquet and invited these people, they would have a banquet and they would invite you back. Things would be even. Otherwise, they'd be owing you, or perhaps you're wanting them to owe you, and, um, or perhaps they are feeling now, I've got to go to this banquet, otherwise he will think I don't owe him. Uh, you know, the, the custom in the Northwest was to have the potlatch. The potlatch was basically a big banquet where everybody would arrive in their canoes and they would feast, and the host would go overboard to impress people with how wealthy he was. And the rule was that if you came to a potlatch, when you had a potlatch, you had to invite the other people to come. It's the same custom. This is basically a cultural thing that you can see all over the place. And I think even in our culture, people feel an obligation, having been invited to something, to invite back. Jesus says, I look at this crowd, and what do I not see? Not a single street person is in here. There's no poor people. There are no maimed people. There are no blind men. There's no lame people. These, you should have people here that cannot repay you. Then you're showing forth the gospel. You're showing forth the love of God. You're showing mercy. And you can see, obviously, this dinner is not getting any better. In fact, the tension is really strong around that table at this point, and everybody is kind of fidgeting and quiet. Some of them are feeling a little bit guilty because they realize, you know, Jesus is actually right here. Others are, oh, let's just get this over with. We've got to do something about this guy. He just gets right at the core of us and makes us so uncomfortable. And so there's someone at the table that realizes, as Jesus was talking about the fact that you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just, do you know? Let's change the subject. Let's talk about something that everybody agrees on. Pharisees believe in the resurrection. Jesus believes in the resurrection. And at the resurrection, there'll be a great dinner a great dinner, and we will all sit with the Messiah at that dinner. And so he says, in typical um, fashion, he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Don't you agree with that statement? You know, the people around the, the table are shaking their heads. Nodding, you know, and Jesus could have said, and probably he thought he would say, Oh, that we might keep the law in a precise passion, so that when that great day comes, we will be counted worthy to sit with the Messiah and all the believers at his banquet. That's what a Pharisee would say. Oh, that we would be found worthy. Because, you know, We've kept all the rules. We've gone through all the ritual. 
But Jesus doesn't respond that way. He knows they are thinking differently. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 25, there's a reference to this great banquet. And in verses 6 through 9, Isaiah pronounces this prophecy of, of the end of time. And he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread through over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Beautiful picture. All the nations gathering at the table of the Lord and rejoicing at this great feast. But you know, the Pharisees had dealt with this passage. And when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Aramaic, they added comments, it's called the Talmud, um, to help people understand, you know, because the people didn't speak Hebrew too much, they spoke mostly Aramaic and stuff, they added commentary. And they added commentary to this verse. They said that the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples on this mountain a meal. And though they suppose it's an honor, it'll be a shame to them. And great plagues, plagues they will be unable to escape, plagues whereby they will come to their end will be upon them. This table's going to be bait to bring the Gentiles in so that they can be judged. The book of Enoch, which was written during this time period, says the kings and mighty and exalted those who rule the earth, the Gentiles, will fall down before the Son of Man, who will deliver them to the angels for punishment, a spectacle for the righteous. After this destruction of sinners, this righteous, the righteous and the elect shall eat with the Son of Man forever. Even the Essenes who lived down in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were the real purists. I mean, they were the separated separatists. In their book of the Messiah, of the Messianic rule, they said that the table was for the wise, the intelligent, the perfect, according to their rank and dignity. But no one who is smitten in their flesh, paralyzed in his feet or hands, lame, blind, deaf or dumb, or smitten in the flesh, will be allowed there. There won't be any Gentiles for sure. There won't be any of the lesser Jews there. This is for the perfect ones. This was the attitude of the second temple Judaism of Jesus' day. That only those people, the few, are going to be saved. And it's because of their merit, their rank, their dignity. Jesus knows that this is the kind of thought that's going on in these minds because he just pointed to that fact. I mean, who are they favoring? They're favoring the people, 
that are wealthy and can pay them back. They could care less about the street people. And so Jesus says, once upon a time, he's telling a story, right? The word once is in there. Once upon a time, there was a guy who had a big banquet. This was a really good banquet. And he invited many people to be there, and it was going to be an absolute feast. There would be fatted calves that had been roasted until the meat was just falling apart. There would be all kinds of game birds served, and, and all kinds of salads and pastries. And Just think about all the things you'd like to eat at a big banquet. They're going to be there. And this guy invited a lot of people to come to this. The Pharisees sitting around the table are listening to Jesus start to tell this story and they're thinking, you know, that sounds like a pretty good banquet to go to. I think I would be invited. I think I would be one of the many that would be invited to this banquet. But when the time came, oh, I need to take a break for a second and explain another custom of that day. When you gave a banquet, there were two invitations. There was first the invitation you would send out, and it would say, we're going to have a banquet. And so, at this banquet, I want you to come. And so I'll let you know when it's ready. RSVP, let me know if you're coming. Now, you see, they didn't have clocks and other things like that in those days. And so the, the host would get this list, and he, oh, okay, I've got... 45 people coming, so I need to have food for 45 people. If only three people are coming, you're not going to kill the fatted calf. A chicken will do it. But if you've got a big crowd, you've got to get the meat, and then you've got to start preparing it. You've got to cook it. And so they begin to, to cook and prepare. And once the banquet is ready, then the second invitation will be sent out. He gives his servant the word, go and tell those people it's ready Come now. And when the servant goes out to invite them, they've got excuses. What? What are you saying, Jesus? This guy's got a great feast and he's invited these people, but when, when it's ready, they don't want to come? They're making excuses? Well, yeah, you know, like this one guy says, I got a field I just bought, and I got to go check it out. I must go look it over. Please excuse me. This guy just got a new tractor. In fact, he got the whole thing, tractors, plows, everything. Brand new, and he's got to go test it. Please excuse me. I got to go test my tractor. Well, I know it's in the text, it's, yokes of oxen, but they were tractors. <laughs> well, there's this third guy, and he says, well, I got married, and, well, you know. Not even excuse me, just, I got married. <laughs> uh, well, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe his wife has henpecked him. Maybe she has an excuse, but basically, all three of these excuses are absolutely unthinkable. Who would possibly not see through these flimsy excuses? Nobody 
has to go at the moment of the banquet to check out the field because if he's buying a field, he's already done all that. He's checked out all the details. He knows everything about that field before he signed the dotted line, before they shook hands or exchanged shoes or whatever they did in those days. Here's this guy who says, I have to go right now to check out the oxen. What? Did you say you're coming to the party? What's more important? You could drive the tractor tomorrow. Besides, it's raining. I mean, sure, he just got married, but he could take a little bit of time to come to this banquet before they go do what married people do. And the Pharisees sitting around that table are realizing, you know, these are pretty flimsy excuses. This guy's giving out an invitation and they're all making excuses why they can't come. This guy must be noticeably upset at hearing these things. And Jesus says, yes, the host was angry. And so what did he do? He sent his servant out into the city to bring in the street people. Find a grocery cart, bring the person that's attached to it to the banquet. Go find the people that are hobbling around, you know, the, 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 the lame, the, the people that are visibly handicapped. They can't see, so take them by the hand and lead them in. Find them a seat at the table. Uh, bring in the people that are maimed. That's that crippled thing there, you know, it's people that have had serious injuries and maybe they didn't have a prosthetic foot or other things. They certainly would not be pleasant to look at if they'd been seriously burned or other things. The host of this banquet says, bring those people in. Find them a place at the table. I got all this food cooked. I don't want to waste it. We don't have refrigerators yet. Bring people in and fill the place up. Well, says the servant, we've done that. We've gone all through the city. We've brought in everybody we can. And there's still empty places at the table. Well, then go out of the city. Go down the highway and pick up people along the way. And go that, down that road and that away. Go all over the place and bring people in that the house will be filled. You notice, this parable is considered to be one of the best parables because it illustrates the grace of God. This guy could have just responded in anger, but instead he opens up the feast to those who really need to come. And you know, it must not have been easy to bring them in. You know, a lot of times the street people, they don't want to take advantage of the local gospel mission's bed. They'd rather stay on the street. They don't think they're worthy of it. Or they know they can't pay back somebody when they offer them something. You know, they don't like to take charity. I'm too proud for charity. Uh, you can keep your socks. And so it takes persuasion. It takes encouragement. You don't have to bring anything. We know you can't repay because the feast is open to you 
absolutely no strings attached. This is unconditional grace illustrated very clearly in this parable. And there's also another aspect here too because almost every commentator will, will say the same thing. That first he's talking about those outcast people of Israel but then he's talking about bringing in the people outside the city, outside of Jerusalem, the people that are Gentiles, the people that are scattered, the mission. This is a, a, a parable about the mission because the Lord wants his banquet to be filled. In chapter 13, I think it's verse 29, the question is asked of Jesus, are only a few going to be saved. Let me get my Bible open to the right place here. Are only a few going to be saved? Luke doesn't really answer that question right away. In fact, Jesus then proceeds to tell one of these parables about the narrow door. You know, there's a narrow door and it's going to be closed and one of these days you're going to be banging at the door and the guy of the house is going to say, I don't know who you are, you're not coming in. And then he goes on to say, In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves cast out. The people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Jesus is talking about the fact that the gospel is given to the nations. And it's interesting because in Jesus' little story here, he doesn't say anything about the room being filled up. Because the servant is still gathering people into this dining hall. But Jesus instead concludes with verse 24. Which says, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. A little subtle thing here. Because prior to this verse, in this parable, it's always the Lord speaking to his servant, singular. But Jesus now uses the plural for that word you. I tell you guys. He's speaking to the people around the table. I tell you that none of those people who make excuses, who re reject the free offer of the grace of the Lord's banquet, will taste of it. Jesus is turned the tables on them because he's not talking only about the banquet in heaven. He's talking about the fact that these people around this table are refusing God's grace. I mean, think about it. They're sitting around the table with the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Now, they don't recognize that fact. In fact, they've been out to trap him for weeks. But they're sitting around the table with the Lord. They have had the invitations of the prophets, many of whom they killed. They have had a miracle done right before their eyes, a man healed in their midst. 
They have Jesus who is demonstrating before them in many ways the grace of God and God's love for those in need. He offers them grace here and yet they resist him. They prefer their possessions, whether they're fields or tractors, or their relationships, their friends, their wives, their girlfriends, their other things. These things take more precedence in their life than being at the table with the Lord. Now, you heard a good sermon from Michael Kelly a couple weeks ago, chapter 9 of the book of Luke, and he talked about Jesus calling these people to come follow me, and they got excuses. Jesus is emphasizing to these people around the table, the door is still open. If you'll just turn from yourselves, turn from your own concerns, acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner, and that you are no more worthy to come into the banquet of the Lord than these street people, you're welcome. It's very interesting because Jesus, you know, every single time he gives them a parable, he really stabs them right through the heart with that parable, with the truth of God. And not once are we told whether they responded to that offer of grace or not. It's possible. It's just possible if you just listen to Jesus, if you acknowledge who he really is, that his grace is going to be given to you. Even if you're a Pharisee, even if you've been keeping all these silly rules which really haven't changed your status with God, if you acknowledge the fact your hearts are not worthy of him, if you acknowledge the fact that you haven't loved the people in need, that you haven't been concerned about justice, if you haven't been concerned about the people around you, the Lord wants his banquet hall to be filled. Are there few that are going to be saved? Was the question. The answer is the Lord will fill his banquet hall. All of those who are invited, who come, will be there. It's possible, though, and this parable makes it very clear that some will reject that invitation. They will make excuses, and they won't be there. Now, Jesus is telling a story, obviously, but I think probably by now they began to see through the lines. Jesus is talking about himself. What does he say here? My banquet. I tell you, none of those people who made excuses will taste my banquet. This is a wonderful parable. It's very hard, perhaps, to um, explore all the nuances of it. I've read several different sermons on it. They've all caught different aspects. But they all agree in one thing. This is a parable about the grace of God. 
God gives out his grace to all who come to him, not expecting anything in return, just to come and sit at the table with him. So as we consider this passage and as you think about it, think about the fact that sometimes Jesus doesn't go along with the etiquette. That every time he got into it with the Pharisees, maybe he was trying to point the fact that they were on the wrong path. They needed to turn around and see who was actually talking to them. They needed to hear what he was saying and they needed to confess their sins and embrace their Savior. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Are there few that are going to be saved? God's banquet hall will be filled, and this room should be filled in just the same way as the servants go out and gather people to him. And the Pharisees were actually a minority within the population, and they thought they were the select few. But Jesus says, open your eyes. There are people in need all around you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that as we consider this passage in your word of God, that you'll open up our own hearts to the times that we're so much concerned about our own concerns that we neglect, Father, what you've called us to do and to be. And Father, that too often, because we make excuses, we fail to really receive the fullness of the blessing that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you'll just speak to us through this day and in coming days through your word to help us to embrace you and to rejoice at being at the table with you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.